gonna apologize up front. I sound like a frog. I've been dealing with a bit of a head cold the last day or so. Uh, so if I cough and sneeze and stuff comes flying out, I apologize in advance. Um, with the Gerbers here, just to add a prayer request there, uh, with the country that they serve in, we try not to announce that on live stream for their sake, uh, they have to leave about every six months or so. Part of the reason that they're here is they're trying to get a visa, which would be a business visa, which would allow them to stay in country for several years at a time. While I love having them come visit, God called them to serve somewhere else. So we'd like them to be able to stay there as long as possible. Pray that that goes through, because that's part of the reason that they're here. Um, so pray that that goes through so that they can do what God's called them to do. Uh, look at verse uh, 13, chapter 8, verse 13. Uh, okay, Gideon and his men, they, he, how many men does Gideon have with him during this particular time? He's got about 300 men with him, okay? They started their battle against the Midianites around what time of day? Around midnight. Okay? They cracked the pitchers, blew the trumpets, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and the Midianites and the Ishmaelites did what? They killed each other. Okay? So these guys basically got to stand there and kind of watch. You get, got the idea that it's midnight, so they're not really seeing, but they're hearing a lot of death happen. And they just started chasing after what was the remnant of the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, they're chasing these guys down, and in verses 10 through 12, we get the idea that they're chasing two kings, Zeba and Zalmunna. They've fled, and they stop, and they'd ask the men of the city of Sukkoth for what? What did they stop and ask for? They asked for bread. Why? They were hungry. The Bible says they were faint, yet pursuing. So they needed some quick carbs. I was at the gym yesterday, powered by Dayquil and caffeine. Okay, I've actually set two half marathon PRs on Dayquil and caffeine. I should be sponsored by Dayquil. I'd probably be the only athlete in the world that's got like Dayquil emblazoned. I'd get the tattoo, I don't care, okay? I'm there and my trainer Cyrus is with me and he's like, you don't look so good. I'm like, I don't feel so good. And he's like, do you need some quick carbs? And he pulls out a five pound bag of Sour Patch Kids. And I'm like, yes, anytime there is candy involved, yes. Hey, quick carbs are a really good way of kind of like fueling you, getting you going, especially when you have been, in this case, it says faint yet pursuing. You realize they're chasing these guys through the night and all they wanted was some bread. They wanted some quick carbs so that they could get, get it in, get moving. And you realize bread, you could eat and still continue to run. Matt and I have run some crazy races. There are guys I've seen on some of these races literally carrying a chunk, just like a whole chunk of like Italian bread and just gnawing on it while they run. That and pickles. It's a weird combination, but people do weird things. Okay? So these guys were just asking for some quick carbs. They wanted something. And the men of Sukkoth, what was their response? Does anybody remember? It wasn't necessarily no up front. It was, well, do you already have them? They wanted to be assured, are you already winning before we help you? So Gideon was like, fine, if you don't want to help us, we're going to come back and I'm going to do what when we catch them? I'm going to beat you with thorns, which is, again, one of the weirdest threats in all of the Bible. I'm going to beat you with thorns. Well, look at verse 13. We were here last week. I just want to reread a little bit. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up. Again, they started their battle around midnight. This is now before the sun is up the next day, so we're at just over 24 hours that they've been going. 
and caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Sukkoth and the elders thereof, even threescore and 17 men. So he gets this young guy. I want you to tell me about all the people in charge of your town. The Bible doesn't say this, but there may have been some torture involved. If anything, he's got 300 blood-soaked, tired, weary men that are likely got like blood and guts all over their bodies and their swords. Tell us what we need to know. Okay, I'll tell you everything. Okay, you and I would give up as quickly as possible if you've got 300 bloody, gross people asking you questions. Here's the 77 men. You gotta give, by the way, this young man some credit. He knew his stuff. Can you name 77 men off the top of your head and tell them exactly where everybody lives? I barely know how to get home. Right? Uh, we were going home from school about three or four weeks ago, and I'll do this thing with my girls once in a while to make sure they kind of have some spatial awareness. You girls got to tell me how to get home. I did it with the twins about a month ago. They turned 13 yesterday for some clarification. We ended up in Cheshire. <laughs> I don't live in Cheshire. I live in Meriden. About three days later, I did it with Molly, who turns nine next week, and we got home just fine. So don't ever let Paisley and Callie give you directions to anywhere. You will, you will be lost. You will die. This young man, we don't know his age, but you got to give this young man a little bit of credit. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly where these guys were. And look at verse 15. And he came up, uh, came unto the men of Sukkoth and said, behold, Ziba and Zalmunim. Now he's caught them. He's physically got them. So when he says, behold, he's like, Look, they're here, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Sukkoth. That's a lesson I'm pretty sure they were not soon going to forget. The Bible doesn't tell us that he killed these men. He just taught them a lesson. He whipped them with thorns and briars. Any of you, and I know a few of you, may be slightly more advanced in years than I am. That's a really lengthy way of saying you old, okay? How many of you actually got spanked at some point with an actual switch? Like, did any of you, mom or dad, make you go pick that out? Yes. My mom made me do that at least once. That is an unpleasant experience. Right? My mom was the type that whatever happened to be within this general area was what you were getting spanked with. Hairbrushes, one time a curling iron. I deserve that one. I almost lit her head on fire before church. Just throwing that out there. But anything that was nearby was this is what you're getting hit with. It was never thorns and briars, though. That would be, that would be rough. You got to remember that these guys have also been going nonstop for somewhere over 30 hours. Bible says they were faint yet pursuing. When we get tired and hungry, we get even more angry. Gideon's madder than a hornet here, and he's, this is not a quick, simple, snack, snack, you're done. He's beating the trash out of these dudes. Mike, are you taking my picture? Oh, the flash just went off. That was weird. I'll sign that later, okay? Um, but this wasn't the only group that he went after. After he left Sukkoth, does anybody remember the name of the city he went right afterwards asking for food? Penuel. At Penuel, he had a lot less mercy. Look at verse 17. And he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. So in Sukkoth, he just beat them with thorns and briars. And according to the Bible, he taught them a lesson taught the men of Sukkoth. Penuel, he had even less mercy and just 
kind of demolished this city. And this is roughly where we left off. Look at verse uh, 18. Then said he unto Zeba and Zalmunna, what manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? So he just asked them a question. What were the guys like that you killed in this city? You got to think here. He's, he's killed all of their men. They had 15,000 of the remnants of the Midianites and the Ishmaelites with them, meaning that they'd, they, they'd slaughtered all of them. The men, bunch of these men had killed themselves, killed each other. Gideon's men went on a five to one odds and still beat them, killed all these guys. They're the only two left out of 135,000. And Gideon just asked the question. You, for these guys, these two kings, Ziba and Zalmunna, they had to know this was a loaded question. What were the guys like that you killed at this city in Zabor, or Tabor? And they answered, as thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. They look just like you, sir. Look at Gideon's response. And I know we covered this last week, and he said, they were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. You killed my brothers. At this point, Zeba and Zalmunna have to know the writings on the wall. So far, they've actually been captured and paraded around like trophies because Gideon needed them to show the men of Sukkoth and the men of Penuel, I told you not if, but when I capture these men. But at this point, the level of fear that had to go through them, uh-oh. You ever make a mistake and then when it finally comes back to haunt you, you're just, oh, Oh, this one's really big oh, though, because they're about to die here. Look at, again, verse 19. He said, they were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. So Gideon says to his firstborn son, kill these guys. In that culture, in that era, that would have been kind of a, a sign of manhood, if you will. But the Bible doesn't give us any indication how young he was. It just says he was a youth. In the Jewish culture, typically you stepped into manhood somewhere between the ages of like 14 and 17. So this kid being called a youth had to have been somewhere below that. So think like junior high to maybe early high school. And he tells them, go kill these two guys. As, as odd as that sounds, I, I can almost guarantee you, our junior high guys wouldn't jump at that. that that's, you realize that that's like a life-altering decision right there that he's trying to make his son make, and the kid wouldn't do it. And look at verse 21. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zeba and Zalmunna and took away the ornaments that were on their camel's necks. So he's got them, got their stuff. He kills them takes off the ornaments. There, the, this was an odd thing, okay? And it, it makes sense as we get into the following verses here, but they're the kings. Our president drives around in a very specialized limousine. Under President Trump, it was a brand new one that was put in place, and it's about every other president. They'll design a new limousine with new features. That limousine under President Trump was nicknamed the Beast, Thing has the, the doors of that thing is about this thick. It's roughly six to seven inches thick. It is bomb proof. Uh, it's actually built like a tank so that if it does get flipped over for any reason, there's an escape hatch coming out the bottom. It's got bulletproof glass. It's got all kinds of features. It actually has specialized features so that Secret Service has access to 
more weaponry than probably is represented by all the families in this room right now. And I know some of you have concealed carry and guns in the house. There's more in that one limousine than probably every family in this house is represented by, including things like grenade launchers and other stuff in the trunk of that limousine. Why? Because he's the president of the United States. We've had more than one be assassinated, so we're doing what we can to keep them protected. Are we okay? The Pope has the Pope Mobile. That's actually, by the way, its official name. I think that's amazing. There's the Pope Mobile. It's like that, except the back seat raises up so people can see him. But it's all encased in bulletproof glass. First off, if you want to kill the Pope, you have some really weird issues that you need to deal with because it's like this 92-year-old man in a dress. Leave him alone, okay? He doesn't know what's going on. But other than that, we, we, it's protection. These guys, they didn't have that. They had camels. The Bible clearly tells us. But you had to know that these were the king's camels. So how did you do so? Ornaments around their neck. Think necklaces on a camel, except gold and jewels. So what Gideon's taking is spoils of war. These people have been in poverty for how long? How long were the Midianites and Ishmaelites stealing all of their stuff? Seven years. They're starting to get some repayment back. And it starts with the stuff on their camel's necks. And this is where we left off. Look at verse 22 with me. Let me grab a drink. Hang on. Apologies. Verse 22, and the, then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also. I mentioned last week, you should underline that little phrase, rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's sons also. That will actually come into play very much during chapters nine and 10. They're actually setting up, they're asking Gideon, be our king. The Israelites, does anybody remember who was the first anointed official king of Israel. It was King Saul. He comes on the scene somewhere around 250 to 300 years later. The Israelites have been wanting a king, had been wanting a king for a long time, and Gideon's their first attempt at kinghood. And look at, uh, the, and here's why. It says, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. Their reasoning is actually fairly valid. You're the one that physically delivered us from our oppressors. Be the king. Be the king. And we're going to find out here in a little bit by the end of the chapter, Gideon's got a lot of sons, like dozens of sons. So the idea of picking this guy who delivered you, who also happens to have a whole, whole pile of children, great idea because you're guaranteed that there's going to be a lineage to follow. Does that make sense? Because that only works. Any kind of a, a kingly lineage, a monarchy only works if you know that there's going to be successive groups of children. We're going to find out when I say dozens, we're talking like five or six dozen children, sons that Gideon has. They're setting themselves up for future generations. It's not actually a unintelligent question here, but look at verse 23. This is again showing us the wisdom and the faith of Gideon. Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. That's where we left off last week. If we would get that under control in our own personal lives, that the Lord is the one in charge, everything else will just kind of make sense. Everything else will actually just get easier. And by the way, that starts on a personal level. You have to figure that out for you first. 
Hey, those of us that are parents, and I know there's some in this room that are grandparents, we have to figure that out personally so then we can figure it out with our family. And if you realize if we had a church full of families that had decided that the Lord's in charge, then the church itself will decide that the Lord's in charge. We'd be unstoppable. The reason we're not unstoppable is because we think we know more than God and we're in charge. And don't tell me, well, I don't believe that. You're right, you don't believe that, but you maybe don't put that in practice. I know, that's harsh. I'm sorry. It's only like 10.30 in the morning and I've already stepped on your toes. Wear steel toe boots to Sunday school. I don't care. But Gideon nailed this about 2,800 years ago and we haven't been able to get this picture correct. By the way, the Israelites didn't either. You realize that God gave us the book of Judges because he was pointing out to all Christians, all followers of Christ for the future, stop being stupid and be willing to do what I want you to do over and over and over. Read through the Apostle Paul. Hey, how are you? That's all. All of his letters start with hello, greetings. Here's what's going on. For the love of all that is holy, stop being a moron. Timothy says hi. That's how all of his books go. Why? Because God's got to remind us through 66 books, stop doing it yourself and be willing to let me be in charge over and over and over again. And by the way, the Israelites proved that it took them over four centuries to figure that out and they still didn't get it right. If they would have figured this out right here with Gideon, the Lord shall rule over you, most of the rest of our Bible would be different. If we would figure that out right now, we could literally change our lives and the lives of our children and our grandchildren. The Lord shall rule over you. Figure this out now on a personal level so that way you can implement it on a family level. We can implement it on a church level. And according to the Bible, my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Then will I hear from heaven and will, what's the last part of that? Heal their land. Our land needs healing. It needs help. Well, this is how it's going to work. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, verse 24. Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you. It's almost like this thing kind of shifts gears right here. Hey, we want you to be king. Nope, but I do have a request. That you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Every group of people in the ancient world had something specific about them. Okay? The Jews had what, what did God tell the Jews to wear or do that set them apart from everybody else? They had a ribbon of blue at the bottom of their robes so that the moment you saw them, you knew that's a Hebrew based on what they were wearing. The Ishmaelites, the way that everybody knew who the Ishmaelites and the Midianites were is they all had golden earrings. Uh, if you go in through uh, different cultures, the Persians were obsessed with tattooing. Uh, and you actually could tell a Persian based on their tattoos. Uh, if you actually go to like uh, the, the, uh, New Zealand, the Maori people of New Zealand, their facial tattoos are, are a sign of a tribal culture there. And it's just, you can tell certain groups of people. You go to uh, different parts of Africa, there's the pygmy group of Africa where Pastor and I would actually be tall. The average man in the pygmy tribes of Africa are about five foot three. It's the only place in the world we would be tall. Um, but literally within 100 miles of where the uh, pygmy tribes are, are the, some of the Zulu tribes where they're, they've got the average height for a man is six foot ten. We're talking massive. The Maasai warriors, which are part of the Zulu tribe, huge, ginormous human beings. The average height, by the way, for the ladies there is like six three. That's crazy. 
We wouldn't be tall there. I don't know if you knew that. Just putting two and two together for you. But you can tell different groups of people apart by how they dress. Go to the airport. You can always tell who the Hindus, who the Buddhists, who the Muslims are, entirely based on what they look like and the way they dress. The Ishmaelites, all of them had these golden earrings. By the way, this just gets plugged in here. Do people know you're a Christian by the way you look? People knew these were Ishmaelites by the way they looked. Just throwing that out there, okay? And all Gideon asks is, I just have a request. You want me to be king, I don't want to do it, but I would like to get paid for the work that I did. The workman is worthy of his hire, correct? That's Bible principle. He's asking to get paid and he wants the earrings. How many people did they just kill in the last 30-ish hours at this point? 135,000. How many ears does the average person have? Two. Some of you are like, this many. All right, two. Meaning he's got about 270,000 earrings. That doesn't sound like a lot. But these people, the guys, these weren't made out of like, you know, nickel, like gold-plated nickel. These weren't like from Claire's. These weren't cheapo Walmart, you know, ordered these from China earrings. The Bible says they were golden earrings, meant these were solid gold. 270,000 earrings. Look at verse 25, and they answered, we will willingly give them. There was no hesitation. You got it. We'll give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. This was common practice. You killed somebody, you took their stuff. It's called spoils of war. So they had, at some point, they had gone back. We don't know exactly where this portion takes place. We do know that the, the spot with Sukkoth and Penuel had been within a 30 hours or so. This could have been the next day for all we know. There's, not a, there's no timeline given here for this section. But these guys had have obviously gone back and gone through the Ishmaelite Midianite camp and broken out all of these earrings. Most of these were done in a hoop style. They would have had to either cut off the lobe of their ear, which is very likely, uh, probably the easier way, or physically broken these earrings off. Uh, basically, uh, to be honest with you, the easier way would have been to just cut the earlobe. I know that's gross, but this garment that they spread out is full of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of earrings, and more than likely a whole bunch of earlobes, just to give you a really fun graphic image to think of here. Um, So they spread this out, and every man, the earrings of his prey, again, if they had broken out the earrings of every single soldier that had died, that's about 270,000 golden earrings. Look at verse 26. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold. That's 1,700 shekels of gold, okay? I did some math on this. On, on average, a shekel of gold, the, the combined weight here would have put this somewhere between 43 and 46 pounds of gold, Okay. The average plate that you use at the gym, a weight plate, is about 45 pounds, okay? That's one of those in solid gold. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. To give you an idea, gold currently, this is as of about three days ago, is selling for somewhere around $1,989 per ounce, which would have put the total value at this at somewhere around $1.3 million, in gold earrings and uh, earlobes. 
that he's God. So Gideon's getting paid really, really well. Here's a thought, though. People have been in some level of abject poverty for seven years. And now Gideon's the richest man in the nation. Read through the rest of chapter 8. He doesn't share any of this. The smart thing would have been divide this up evenly amongst his 300 men, send them home, and now they all are set for life. And he could have restarted the economy. He could have gotten things moving again. But he keeps it all. So we have an idea, by the way, again, I told you repeatedly, Gideon is probably of all the judges the most like us. He's a little on the selfish side. Come on, think about it for a split second. Who's your favorite person? That would be you. Okay, everybody is. And oh, no, 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 it's my, no, it's you, it's you. You know it's you because you're the first person you think of when you get up in the morning. You're the first person that you feed in the morning, okay? It's you. And that's, by the way, that's called self-preservation. God put it in you. It's okay, but Gideon's taking care of himself. And this is massive, absolutely massive. And look at the rest of verse 26 it says, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. The weight that we're talking about, that 1,700 shekels of gold, the 1.3 to 1.5-ish million dollars, that's just the earrings. That's not counting all the other stuff. Because remember, the Bible tells us back um, earlier in this ver uh, chapter, uh, in verse 21, says he took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. That's not counting all the weight of all of that stuff. This is just the earrings. He's got about a million and a half dollars worth of reward, plus all this other stuff. And beside the chains that were about their camel's necks. So Gideon's got, got a huge reward. Well, let's see what he does with it. Look at verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in a city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Gideon actually make, does something kind of odd with this. He does not actually just use this to amass his own fortune. He melts it all down and makes an ephod. He makes a jacket, if you will, a shirt out of this and just sets it up in his hometown. That sounds odd, but think about this. He made a trophy. Plain and simple. He made a trophy. Right now we're in the NBA uh, playoffs. I don't know if any of you are basketball fans or not, but in the next three to four weeks, we'll be in the NBA Finals. When the Finals are over, the team that wins, wins a trophy. You win something, you win a trophy. Pastor won a gold medal at his powerlifting competition. It's a trophy. Unfortunately, ours aren't real gold. It's just shiny, all right? Um, but you win a trophy. You win something, you win a trophy. Now, that's unlike, you know, most kids' sports today where everybody wins and everybody gets a trophy because... You were alive today, even though you had no idea what was happening. One summer in college, I uh, refereed uh, like four to five-year-old soccer. If you ever want to have a good day, just go watch four and five-year-olds play soccer. You don't even have to be related to anybody there. It's like a wad of 22 kids following a ball around. At one point, the ball was over here, and all of them were over there. Uh, it was awful. It was one of the most... I got paid 75 bucks for an hour's worth of just blowing a whistle watching kids play with dandelions half the time. It was great, okay? It was easy money. But at, at that particular one, they gave out a trophy after every game. 
One of those kids literally was eating bugs. That kid doesn't deserve a trophy. He needs his stomach pumped, okay? That's not, no. There was one little girl, her name was Alexis, and the, she, she probably is like pro soccer player for all I know now. She was the only one that had any clue what was going on. We weren't allowed to keep score because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but Alexis came up, can you tell me what the score is? I want to know if I kick their butt. You got it, honey, yes. And one game, she scored 19 goals by herself but we weren't keeping score. So I kept score and told her, you had 19 and the other team, the whole team had three. Okay, good. I love that. That's great. That's the way it should be, by the way. All right, just throwing that out there. But you win something, you get a trophy. Gideon does this. Again, this is about 45 pounds of gold, not counting the ornaments on the camel's necks, not counting some of the other stuff, just the gold earrings, and he makes an ephod. So we've got this golden shirt, if you will. And he's setting it up in his hometown in the city of Ophrah. And look at what happens. All Israel went thither a whoring after it. This is actually a very logical conclusion. They've been in poverty for years. And Gideon's not smart enough to redistribute the wealth makes a trophy and everybody wants it. Why? Because they're dirt poor. This is, to be honest, a very logical conclusion. And look at what it says at the end of the verse, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. This, the, the, the concept we're getting here is this put Gideon on a pedestal. That's mine. I've got that. Nobody else has that. I won that. Look at what I did. Gideon's pride got the best of him. So instead of, hey, look at what God's given to us. Let's give it all back so we can all do better. Look at what I did. Look at what I did. He didn't want to rule over them. He told them correctly, the Lord shall rule over you, but I want you to know how awesome I am at the same time. Is that, is that, do, do those two pieces fit together? They do if you're human. They do. I told you, Gideon's like us. Most of us would try to have some good spiritual answer. No, no, no. You let God take care of that. But I'm awesome enough to help you. That's for sure. Yep, mm-hmm. I did that. That's exactly what Gideon's done here. And it became an issue unto Gideon and to his house. That's not his physical dwelling. Hey, if I bring gold into my house, my house isn't like, you know, smiling from the front. It's not like, woo-hoo-hoo, we rich today. In my house, it'd probably be a new snake anyways, okay? But here, Gideon, this is his children. Gideon set his kids up for failure. By the way, your homework for this week is to read chapters 9 and 10, which we're going to jump into next week. I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. Gideon set his kids up for failure. This move right here may have been one of the key pieces that destroyed Gideon's family. This doesn't necessarily, it started off as not, honestly, probably not a bad idea. The bio, look, look through the Israelites' history thus far. Every time God's done something amazing, what was the Israelites' response to God doing something amazing? They built a monument. God parted the Red Sea, they built a monument. God part of the Jordan, they set up two monuments, one in the middle of the river and one on the outside of the river. 
everywhere they've gone that God's done something amazing, they set up a monument. In Gideon's brain, that may have been where this started. I'm gonna set up a reminder of what God did, but at the same time, he took a resource that could have helped everybody, and now everybody wants that resource. We okay? It's an interesting thought. Look at verse 28 with me. We'll move forward. We're almost done with this chapter. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. They're gone. They, the guys, are, they're done. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. They've got, they, they were under subjection for seven years and God gives them four decades of quiet. That's enough time to fully recover. That's enough time for an entire generation to grow up, bring a new generation into the world that's never experienced that level of war and poverty. So we've got 40 years of quiet. Verse 29, and Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had three score and 10 sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. He ends up with a total of 70 sons. The Bible doesn't tell us how many daughters he had, but we can assume he had to have had some daughters mixed in there. This dude's got a lot of kids. There's a current record in the United States. There is a gentleman that lives in Utah. He is part of the uh, like kind of extreme version of the Latter-day Saints church. He has 24 wives. And last check, he had 90 children. They live in one house. That house is almost as big as our school building. You would need that, by the way. You'd need more bathrooms than our school building has for that many human beings. That's not natural. That's not normal. But it does give us an indication why the children of Israel wanted him to be king, because you're guaranteed there's going to be some kids born to keep that line of succession going. Are we okay? But he's got 70 sons here. And his concubine, look at verse 31, 31, that was in Shechem. She also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. Mark that name. He's going to come back, Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Again, that's his town, that's his city, that's where the ephod, the golden ephod was set up. In verse 33, and I'm done here, uh, give me just another moment. It came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Baal Bareth their god. And I'm going to pause here. Baal Bareth is a unique name. If you read through your Bible, Baal and Balaam are the same thing over and over and over again. But there are multiple instances where Baal has a, almost like a last name attached to it. Baal Bareth means God of the covenant or Baal of the covenant. Had they not been given an Abrahamic covenant, an is, uh, a covenant with Jacob, there's all these different covenants that God had made with his people they made a new one on their own with Baal. Read chapters 9 and 10 before next week. That's your homework. How many of you can do that? It's two whole chapters. It's not hard. That's like six verses a day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you do for us. Lord, thank you.